Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast. I'm Hugh Hardy, joined by Derek Brissett. So, Derek, it has been uh, revealed by Rugby Canada that the High Performance Review has come out. And what seems to have initially been a look into the high performance of Rugby Canada as an institution instead it seems to be a damning indictment not only of uh, the organization itself but also of Canadian rugby as a whole. Um, this has come about as a response to the men's 15s team failing to qualify for the 2023 Rugby World Cup the women's sevens team unable to match their medal success from 2016 at the Tokyo Olympics and the men's sevens team also un- unable to reach the medal count for the uh, men's sevens at the Tokyo Olympics as well. Um, I believe this also partially covers the women's 15s team as well as it is talked about in the report but not to the same extent. After all, the women's 15s team is still to um, take part in the Women's Rugby World Cup, which was supposed to be in 2021, uh, was delayed to this year, 2022. I feel like the review as a whole is kind of treating all four teams, though, as like an all-encompassing high-performance program. Like the, yeah. there's, there's a handful of lines and bullet points where it specifically will say like, the men's 15s team felt this way or the women's 7s team feels this way. Or it'll be a sentiment that's expressed by all four teams, but yeah. there's emphasis on one, on one team of them, in yeah. certain. But beyond, beyond a couple of those, it's kind of, it seems to be treating the, uh, I think the, uh, the report kind of treats it as like an all-encompassing high-performance program, but yeah. just it just seemed like where it felt necessary to highlight that it's, Probably like, I guess, because it says that they did like, uh, I believe it's 108 interviews for all the players across the four high performance teams. So men's sevens, men's 15s, women's sevens, women's 15s. And I guess when they, you know, at the moments of the document, when they do highlight that it's like, it's specifically this team that kind of feels that way. I feel like that's just kind of when. It seems to be it's like when a certain like an overwhelming amount of players on a certain team felt a certain way about it. Yeah. And maybe the other teams didn't necessarily feel that way, but it was really came out from like one team. I feel like that's highlighted. Um, But for the rest of the document, it seems like they're all kind of just treating it as it seems to be like the the high performance program as a whole. So uh, at least that's the way I kind of read it. Yeah. Before you dive into it, I should mention the people involved in it. So the review committee included Sally Dennis, David Fortier and Bill Webb, who are the Rugby Canada directors. Uh, Sue Highland, who is a director of Varsity Athletics at the University of Ottawa, and she is independent committee member. Uh, Robert Borland, a administrator and professor from Penn State University, as well as sports attorney and president of Culture and Sports. He was another independent committee member. And Alan Vanson, the former Rugby Canada CEO. Of the review panel was Strad Consulting, led by Megan Liu and Curtis Andrews. Mel Davidson, a Canadian high-performance team sport expert, and Mike McGovern, a high-performance rugby union expert. Uh, As you mentioned, Derek, there were efforts that were made to ensure that the panel had access to appropriate broad and representative group of stakeholders. Uh, So they conducted over 50 interviews and focus groups with 80 individuals participating, and they received 108 survey responses those that were included were athletes from the men's and women's 15s and 7s teams, uh, coaches, including select head coaches and coaching staff alumni, uh, all Rugby Canada high-performance program support staff and select uh, high-performance support alumni, and all Rugby Canada board members were interviewed except newly appointed board member Kathleen McGinn. Uh, so they ha- all had interviews and focus groups uh, across with that. But let's get into the real meat and potatoes of this. This is a very damning report into the organisation. Um, in summary, when it comes to a high performance st- strategy, it was found that Rugby Canada does not have a high performance strategy in place. 
the organizational structure and the resourcing they have found is unable to support the high performance teams. So that's men and women's 15s and men and women's sevens as well. Rugby Canada has a poor relationship with the Canadian rugby community, including its culture, safety and inclusivity and communication. But one point they do want to make out is that change is possible and many hope to be part of it. So it seems as though it's been the admittance of something's wrong, which a lot of people in the Canadian rugby community have been saying pretty much for the past decade and a half. And now it's finally been put into words and paper. And I do credit Rugby Canada with actually being able to publish this document because I believe that anyone that um, supports Canadian rugby needs to read it, needs to understand what has been found and need to take the steps to improve, not only as an organisation, but as uh, fans of the sport and those who want to see it progress, not only on the global stage, but also domestically as well. Well, that's, uh, I think that's one of the key things that they, they do mention um, towards after they have their, their key recommendations toward the end of the document. And uh, so it's on page 17, just before the conclusion, um, the report does state it will be critical for Rugby Canada to communicate this report fully and transparently, both in response and respect to the time given by stakeholders across Canada. And so it's like it, it is specifically recommended that Rugby Canada does put it out. And as, as you kind of mentioned, that has been, you know, one of the many criticisms of Rugby Canada over the past few years is people and it's kind of shows throughout the document. A lot of a lot of talk about rugby Canada's like communication yeah. and their ability to effectively communicate, and part of that has been like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things where it's like people don't necessarily know what's going on. They're not communicating. We even had like even as recently as you know, um, uh, the coaching change for the women's 15s team a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. one of the kind of the the common comments was, doesn't they didn't really give a reason um for it right or the reasoning was pretty vague and yeah so it's like even up until like a couple of weeks ago it's like you can kind of you're still kind of getting that and you know it does so it's like it is it is nice that we got this document um and it, it's definitely it's definitely worth it worth a deep dive as you said worth a look uh so i guess i guess we should kind of head into it because there's definitely uh some some fascinating things um, put out. So it seems from the performance review is that it is three specific areas or categories that yeah. fall under what needs uh, review and improvement. These can be defined as strategy, structure, and culture. So we'll begin by looking at strategy. Uh, so while I'm going to mention, so I'm going to mention a few points. This is not the extent of this. These are just the ones that. Uh, particularly uh, stood out, but uh, we recommend anyone who is listening or watching this, please, you can uh, read the full report. As we said, it's only about 19 pages, um, easy downloadable, and it's available from the Rugby Canada website for um, you to view and read at your own leisure. Uh, So here's one of the strategy points. Uh, Rugby Canada's high-performance vision is unclear or unknown to Rugby Canada's athletes, coaches, employees, and stakeholders. And Rugby Canada's high performance strategic incoherence is at least partly a product of being stuck in the past. So this seems to be an instance of um, something that has been mentioned by a lot of people. Um, You can call it one thing or the other, but it always the same thing, whether it's the old guard or the former players. It does seem as though from what I've heard is that Canada seems to be focused on things that have happened and not what's currently happening. So the idea of that um, Canada should auto, should be able to qualify for the Men's Rugby World Cup because they've qualified for all the previous Men's Rugby World Cups as well. And what that's done, and this was particularly in 2019, is that it's allowed them to paper over the cracks that have been in this organization for, as I said, like at least the last decade, probably the last 20 years, maybe even since rugby turned professional, is the detriment, it has come to the detriment of 
the institution as a whole that it seems as though the professionalism and high performance development pathways have been just used mainly as buzzwords and there hasn't been something that's solid in structure and when you look at other countries now for example chile um started their high performance uh, development plan and center back in like 2019 2020 and now they've eliminated canada from world cup qualification so it, now again this will probably be something as we go through we'll pick up because the review does mention other tier 2 and tier 3 nations um but it does seem to be as though canada has been resting on its laurels and resting on its past success for far too long oh uh- Yeah, but it, like I think the the thing with that too is it it does kind of obviously, you know, it, it mentions um like the strategy element the first section, right? Obviously like the first the blatant like first statement that you read there um is rugby Canada does not have a high performance strategy. Yeah. Um which I think just it sums up like the whole review basically, right? And you know, as as you go through the rest of the document, you just see like it just seems like there's a lot i guess it's like which i think is probably i think the reason that it's the first the first point that's made is probably because it's, it's the most the, important one it's the most important and it drives everything else right yeah um because you know the first that that first bullet point of the rugby can does not have a high performance strategy does mention like the stakeholders the t- the teams different opinions um like you kind of said like the idea of um being stuck in the past you know you kind of look at it one of the points that i think does stick out is it's like uh it says there is difference of opinion and no clear rugby canada opinion on whether rugby sevens is a pathway to 15s or a distinct pathway program and then it also highlights the fact that like there's a shared belief that like 15s and sevens is a different game which requires different strategies um yeah. you know maybe and i mean like we 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 kind of have seen through world rugby and through rugby canada that it's like you know certain guys are better at 15s than they are at 7s certain guys are better at 7s than they are at 15s um yeah. certain guys are going to like 15s better than 7s or 7s better than 15s yeah. um depending on what that individual player prefers right it also seems that it's like you know the fact that there there isn't necessarily a clear distinction on how they have that path it's just like and the way but also like because they don't have the high performance strategy there seems to be issues with how they're like funded in stuff um, yeah. with various different programs which also seems to be leading to tensions between the actual teams themselves yeah um, and which i mean realistically was just going to lead into the whole culture section of this yeah when when you come to talking about tensions it's, it says here in the review that women's 15s and 7s are likely to be competitive on the world stage yeah. um while the men's 15s and 7s are unlikely to be truly competitive however it then says men's 15s are the least competitive high performance team but they receive the greater share of direct funding mm-hmm. women's 15s um by uh start contrast are the most competitive team and received the smallest share of funding although they do say albeit the women's 15s team received the highest amount of funding that is not derived from outside sources which is great and all but at the same time you know we when you look at it on paper like the men's 15s are what 23rd in the world 24th and the women's 15s are currently fourth in the world and may even be challenging to make the world cup final later this year So it's very understandable from each of those teams that how the tensions can be drawn. I think it was even a few years ago Rugby Canada announced that they would be merging the training of uh the 7s and 15s. I don't know if that was for men's or for both like men's and women's, but I remember that press release coming out and there being no explanation as to why yeah. they were doing it and even if they would just to say um due to financial constraints this is the decision that we've made uh we've decided that um skills between uh 15s and 7s can be transferable like any 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 justification that they could have 
but they didn't they didn't give one at all and that and i think that's helped drive the wedge and increase the tensions between these teams especially if you were to say even if you're just saying that you know we know we're successful with women's sevens or we know we can get results from uh, the count of the men's sevens teams at like say two or three world series events but consistently we find that we can get better um, results from the women's 15s or the men's 15s. Mm-hmm. But the sheer lack of communication as has been highlighted multiple times throughout this review has been a driving factor that has then had further negative impacts on different aspects of Rugby Canada. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's... Uh... It, it is one of like it is kind of fascinating reading through and like you said like we're still just on like the the uh the, stru- no, the first few points yeah the strategy part of it it's it's kind of wild like just in the uh sorry we're on they're on the strategy um yeah. of the rugby Canada's not have a high performance strategy and there does seem to be i think a general theme of this entire document is there's not like a focus right yeah or and people seem to not necessarily be on the same page as to what is at least from what I'm reading through this document, people aren't necessarily on the same page as to like what is the best for the program as a whole. Um, but it also seems like whether that's just, like I said, one of the things like financial management, uh, you know, drives distrust between the athletes and the organization as a whole, right? Um, right, which is obviously kind of tough. And um, even in, in mentioning that like, um, the sevens game and its revenue has disrupted the traditional rugby Canada system. Um, to yeah. which it even goes on to mention that, you know, certain sevens players are descri- described as entitled, um, you know, which is um, that's on the page 10 of the document. Obviously the, it just, it seems like the mismanagement is leading to, you know, the mismanagement, not having a clear vision, not having clear focus. And then, as you said, not communicating that properly seems to be leading to a kind of like a rift between like, I guess it seems like it's almost like rugby can is becoming divided into like little factions um, yeah. and there's, it's causing a rift and stuff. And I believe like later on in the document, um, I can, I can run through it and see where exactly I read it. Um, I think at one point it recommends that all four of the teams spend more time together. Um, you know, I think as part of like to kind of help build that culture, build the culture back up, which obviously, you know, one of the, the culture is a big, big part of this document too. And I mean, we've, we've kind of seen how it just, it had, has been somewhat devastated over the past couple of years, but um, yeah, like we're only a, couple bullet points and we're actually skipping a lot of stuff too it's quite the yeah. document didn't yeah. necessarily want yeah. this again like- i have to reiterate anyone listening and watching please yeah um read the full document yourself yeah it's, it's because there's so much that needs to be said and unfortunately this podcast can only be so long yeah it's it's tough to go through it without making it sound like an audio book too so yeah so we're, we're trying to spice it up as much as we can but Again, this is, these are very serious points that need to be addressed and made. Um, another thing is uh, that is mentioned, especially under the uh, strategy, is the financial constraints and situation that Rugby Canada finds itself in, such as Rugby Canada will always be relatively underfunded, but high-performance program does not appear grounded in this reality, in that... Yeah. Other richer rugby nations have determined that they cannot maintain four teams and expect high performance. Rugby Canada has not explained how it will achieve this, considering its relative financial constraints. Yeah, and there's there's also um, talk of like the general fund and uh, yeah, based on yeah, based being you know distributed based on like different leadership decisions and stuff. And I guess. Um, you know, that's under the banner of distrust arising from Rugby Canada's opaque management of its general fund has a negative impacts across the high performance program, right? And I guess that it almost kind of seems like, you know, because there are obviously different things. They're mentioning like own the podium, which, you know, obviously from as a Canadian, you know, funding, but own the podium as a program is very concerned with the podium 
And, uh, you know, sometimes funding gets allocated based on how many medals you can win. And, you know, so it's, but it also kind of, a lot of this does just kind of be like, I think the, uh, the idea of the opaque management system just also kind of comes back to like, do like what is happening, right? Do people, um, again, like a lack of, I think the common theme is just like the communication internally yeah. is not the greatest, especially when big decisions are, are being come are coming down. Um, so the next section is structure. Um, shall we get into that? It's only yeah. got a couple big, it's only got a couple major points. Yeah. It's, um, it's, yeah. It's only the bulk of the document. Uh, <laughs> structure. Um, I think culture is the bulk of it. Uh, no, I think, oh. I think, I think culture has the biggest hit, but that, but I do right. Let's focus on structure. Um, something that high performance program related roles are unclear or even unfulfilled with negative knock on impacts to the program and its people. Um, one clear example of this is prior to uh, the 2019 Rugby World Cup, the only full time coach for the men's 15s team was Kingsley Jones which meant that um, he and Rugby Canada were drafting in assistant coaches relative to whichever tournament or competition that they were involved with. And again, this could be down to like financial reasons, but when you have that lack of uh, stability or when you have that um, idea of like mm-hmm. one person taking on multiple roles such as, for example, Kingsley Jones being an entire coaching structure instead of the main person leading, mm-hmm. then you are going to have things that get missed, things that get uh, forgotten, and then you find out far too late how important those things are. And as it says, like, there are negative knock-on impacts to the people and its program. It also says inconsistent and ineffective execution of admin services has created significant frustration and program turbulence, as well as ineffective um, organizational policies and practices, particularly those related to HR or people practices. They require board members and leadership to be deeply involved on operational issues, leaving strategy neglected and athletes and employees disaffected. It seems as though people are trying to cover everything and in doing so cover nothing. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the big uh, seems to be one of the the big points of uh, this section here. Um, it does it does kind of talk about how um, there is the um, the point that says I high performance program employees are often over, overmatched for their roles um, in which so it's it seems like it's basically saying that there's there seems to be a lot of people whether it's by choice or not and poss- probably not um, biting off a lot more they can chew. And it yeah. also it's stating that it's, you know, often these existing employees were underqualified for their roles without taking, without taking on the additional duties, thus creating a negative cycle of diminishing performance returns. Um, so that's one. The other thing that I do find um, very interesting from the uh, the strategy section here, again under the um, the the point of the current organizational structure and resourcing is unable to support for high performance teams. The one one point that I find very interesting here, and it comes back later in the document when it is talking about the recommendations, is the discussion of Langford. And, yes, I was and, gonna bring that up as well. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, I think it's important, right? Like, yeah. Um, so it says the. It highlights the saying like Langford appears to be a true double-edged sword for the high performance program. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, there is ben- there's some benefits to Langford. Obviously, that's the implication of a double-edged sword. Um, but it does seem to go on to highlight some of the negative impacts of it, which to be honest is something I never thought about. Like yeah. none like in this section here, I've never thought about this at all. Um yeah. but it's saying I, like I have. That's the thing. Um <laughs> I actually said that um, I was speaking to people and saying about how Rugby Canada can seem isolated from everything else going on within the Canadian rugby community. And that's exemplified by having their main base of operations being on a literal island. And yeah. 
and 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 that's the thing. It's in so it does say it's a double edged sword. It uh, mentions that the benefits of Langford are not being realised. Mm-hmm. Um, it says that Langford is not viewed as a positive place to live, with it being framed as expensive and isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that isolating feeling of Langford is seen as potentially heightening cultural pressures and demands greater involvement of responsible leadership. Many have questioned if there truly is an overall benefit to removing athletes from effective club or university or provincial development programs in favor of a centralized Langford-based program. Um, conversely, the ability to centralize athletes, however, is seen by some as the only way for Canada to establish a competitive advantage. Which which I think, too, like one, um, the differing opinion on centralized, like the you know conflicting opinions on centralizing um, athletes or not, I think goes back up to the first point of rugby can that does not have a high performance strategy exactly, right? yeah. is it seems like there's, it seems like there's people disagreeing on some of like the basic points of the strategy and what that should be. So, you know, looking at recommendations going forward, as we get to the end of the document, it's going to be developed the high performance strategy. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of, it is fascinating. I've never, to be honest, I've never thought about like, you know, just even a simple thing of like whether or not the players actually like living in Langford or whether or not yeah. the staff actually likes living out there. Um, that's a tough one because um, it does even I'm going to skip ahead a little bit on this just to because I think it does kind of tie in. Like I said, it does come back in the uh, the recommendations after. And I just kind of want to skip to it just because it feels like a decent time to talk about it. Yeah. Um, where it says optimize for or shift the geographical presence. Right. And, you know, it kind of talks about and it says that Rugby Canada should carefully examine the benefits and drawbacks of the Langford Center of Excellence relative to management of the high performance program, centralization of athletes, management of broader development pathway and the working location of the Center of Excellence. And the reason I think that that is a very interesting point that they're kind of recommending that the report ultimately is recommending that they reevaluate um like langford or reevaluate where the center of excellence is the thing i think is interesting about that is obviously that was just built in like 2018 um with uh millions of dollars from like the canadian government um sport programs and like just you know rugby canada rugby canada donors in order to build that that vent of that facility out in langford Right. And to have to for it to be like a couple years later and doing this high performance review. And, you know, one of the things that it's questioning is the value of being in Langford, but also kind of not necessarily saying that it's all bad double edged sword. So there is some bad. But, yeah. um, you know, obviously, like, you know, there probably is some good, but it also does go to highlight like the potential of being in Langford isn't necessarily being realized. Right. So it's like maybe, you know, maybe there's that, maybe Langford's good, but, you know, it's interesting to think that it's like part of this is like maybe there's the idea that it's, you know, should the center of excellence be somewhere else? Yeah. Right. But, but at this point, though, even if, even if you decide, if, if that is ultimately what is decided that it's better somewhere else, like what do you do? Cause it's not like you can move the building. Right, like it's tough, right? So that, like, that's a tough thing to fix if that's an issue. Well, one of the points that was raised is that, um, like, re- some people are questioning the overall benefit if you're moving them from club or university or provincial development programs because yeah. the understanding is that moving them out to Langford just has them based in Langford. And it's that if they were with their uh, provincial club or their university, they would have access to all the similar facilities that are already there in Langford. Mm. So they would have access to high performance uh, gyms that would be able to um, handle the capacity that rugby players need in order to train. Uh, They'll be closer to family to help with the athletes like mental um health and mental understanding yeah stuff like that and if moving them like three thousand kilometers and like multiple time zones away to the to an island on the most western coast off the most western coast of canada is that is that going to be 
a benefit to them or is that going to be the same or worse a detriment? And it seems to some, not all, some, that it's that because mm-hmm. Langford's um uh because the benefits of Langford are not being realized and as such by rugby Canada, that it's not seen as a benefit to the players or the coaches as a result. Yeah, and, and, and one other thing too that is, is kind of mentioned is like um the absence of the CEO from Langford. Yeah. Um apparently causing some issues as well. And I mean yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's something that's got to be looked at too. Like if you're yeah. going, but maybe, but maybe that's the other thing though. Is it's like saying Langford is isolated and stuff, right? Maybe, maybe that is one of the issues. Is like, like yeah. why isn't your CEO living or working out of Langford, right? Yeah, because because if your if your players there? are there, if your coaches are there, yeah, like that seems. And, like it, a and good if the thing, person who's but... meant to be the um, center point and the leader of the organization isn't, yeah. But that's, that's part of, yeah. but that's, that falls under the point too in talking about Langford at the same time. Yeah. So it says uh, significant communication and cultural gaps between rugby Canada's administrative and sport departments contribute to organizational tension. And yeah, I guess like if some of the key figures and key people in, in your organization that are going to probably be making decisions, wanting to, and be communicating those decisions aren't physically in the same place sometimes i know we're living in a world where like there's a lot of work at home and online stuff um you know following you know covid kind of leading to everyone having to adapt and kind of go to that structure but it's you know that if it's creating tension though that's probably not good and it's also like if there, there shouldn't be a gap between the administrative side and the sports side right like yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even though they might have to handle different tasks and stuff, they should be on like on the same page. Again, I think the, again, like it's just one of those things that's like, again, coming back to this, uh, a big theme of this document just seems to be a lack of communication. Yeah. I guess the next point under the strategy is just the ineffectiveness of corporate and organizational government and exposes, exposes rugby Canada to significant risk. Yeah, it says one of the points underneath that is the board's lack of long-term focus enables the high-performance program's lack of focus and general ineffectiveness. And again, it seems to be this constant reoccurring thread of the communication is so poor that no one knows what the high-performance program is meant to be doing Mm -hmm. because the board hasn't emphasized what the goals are that they want to achieve or how to adapt in the face of um, external factors yeah, to allow it to change. Um, uh, in, yeah, yes. part of it too is it does say like the board is perceived as being in conflict. Um, I guess there's a perception that some of the uh, board members might be acting in personal interests, um, which, you know, obviously I think like that's why, honestly, I think like most of this document reading the stuff that's said in it i mean we'll get to the culture section next which i think has the culture section i think has some of the more interesting stuff yeah um but like it just seems like there's obviously a lack of communication that all stems back to the first point of the document of there's no high performance strategy or it does not have an official plan um to going into this part where it's like you know if, if board members are kind of acting in personal interest or acting on their own uh, people aren't communicating directly. Yeah, I think it just ultimately seems like that's what's leading to the dysfunction. Um, and like, you know what I mean? And um, even parts of, you know, the, the it mentions parts to like some of the like stakeholders and stuff um, viewing like the board and like the rugby can as a leadership group is kind of ineffective. Um, and it all kind of, again, I think it just, a lot of it is stem, stemming from like, poor communication or you know not a whole lot of vision not a whole lot of planning um and also i guess from the first two sections here perhaps a lot of people working in jobs that they maybe necessarily shouldn't be working in um not for 
but just because like as the document mentions like underqualified or yeah. um especially they're covering cover, multiple roles multiple roles and like or um because that's that is one of like the big recommendations at the end too is adding like a director of sport that can like oversee coaching staff and like yeah so it has no direct involvement Um, in coaching itself yeah exactly so it's like that's one of those um so yeah it gets it gets kind of wild um so yeah that's plenty of that um the culture section i think is where it does kind of start to get a little crazy um i think I think in yeah. reading in reading the document when I read through it for the first time, um, especially like reading like the uh, the first general like these are our insights, the twelve insights, twelve recommendations. There's nothing really in the document that was like surprising or whatever, no. right? Like here, you know what I mean? Like hearing, um, like yeah, we know that rugby Canada has a lot of. Um, structure strategy issues didn't realize it's as maybe not realize it's as bad as just flat out stating that they don't have a plan at all um but you know seeing that it like it wasn't necessarily a surprise no see understanding that looking at the document being like the culture section's huge um and i mean all it really took was following rugby canada last year to even if you don't know too much about rugby, if you looked at rugby Canada news at all last year, not hard to see that there's a culture problem. Um, right. And even there's even incidents, incidents that happened last year, a couple of years were within the last couple of years that are kind of vaguely alluded to. Um, they don't specifically state any di- incidents directly, but there seems to be some points that are kind of, there seems to be a few points that are made that are vaguely alluding to certain incidents over the past couple of years. But so to get into culture, you know, the first thing it mentions is like rugby Canada's poor relationship with the Canadian rugby community is a constant strain on the high performance program. Um, kind of starting with like the broadly negative sentiment that rugby Canada currently has. Um, and then it gets into more specifically the alumni, the provincial unions, the university clubs and the donors. Um, but the one and I mean, and all the stakeholders seem to have some sort of issue with the way yeah. Rugby Canada is run, um, whether that's in the community, the athletes, the coaches, um, everybody seems to have some sort of problem with the way that Rugby Canada is currently being operated. Um, the one, I guess the one part that I don't necessarily want to say like that, it, it kind of hurts, but it's like, it is sad to read. Yeah. Um, and I think stuck out a little bit more. Um, when it's talking about the relationship between Rugby Canada and the alumni, and it states that many alumni reported to have left the high-performance program not due to their inability to play high-performance sport, but rather for their dislike of Rugby Canada as an organization. Um, yeah. It's just like that's that to me, it's just it's a wild thing to read. Also, you know, later on mentioning that there's, you know, it kind of, continues later on where it mentions that there's, you know, current players apparently through these, you know, these surveys or these interviews are, you know, confessing that they don't feel pride in wearing the rugby Canada, the Jersey, no. um, which is probably out of everything in this document is probably the ultimate, like those statements there, I think are the ultimate like summarization of where rugby Canada is at. Where it's like, you know, if alumni are saying they're they're quitting rugby or they're quitting rugby, you know, because they're just sick of yeah. rugby Canada, not because they don't want to play, not not because they can't play rugby, because they don't want to play rugby Canada, or you know, just that there's a lack of pride um, in wearing the jersey. Like that's that seems like that's a huge problem, and probably, and I mean, the rest of the culture section, I think just really gets into like why that might be. Um, yeah. Right. But if, if that's, I think that's kind of, that's a pretty, that's a pretty tough statement to be, um, to kind of, to find yourself in. And yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, I think even to like, you go and read through this document and this just, as far as the culture thing, it does not seem, it definitely does not paint rugby Canada as a super fun place to work. Um, no. uh, in this moment right now. And, you know, it, it even kind of goes back and it, like, 
right? And just the the countless problems with the culture, whether that's from, you know, the coaching staff, um, you know, uh, minority players get mentioned a lot. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it, it's wild. Um, there's a whole section too on, uh, you know, there, the, uh, again, it comes up that rugby can has an ability to clarify high performance objectives for seven and 15s and the relationship between the two games have left athletes feeling disrespected and uh, weakening development pathways. And then it lists all the reasons that like each team individually feels kind of disrespected by the idea that 15s and sevens, there seems to be some sort of gap in the way it's treated. And all four of the teams have different reasons why they, they don't agree, you know, with yeah. how they're treated and stuff. And it's yeah. all four so, of the teams are different reasons. It's wild. Um, yeah. So it says here that um, the lack of clarity on rugby Canada's support for the sevens game has resulted in the men's sevens team describing themselves as mistreated, undervalued, undersupported, and not respected on the women's 15s team, despite being the highest-ranked high-performance team. They've yeah. provided relatively fewer resources, despite their being the most likely to achieve uh, high-performance outcomes. On the men's 15s t- uh, team, they do not feel Rugby Canada is appropriately supporting their ability to have a career in the broader rugby world, and they see... Uh, their unwillingness to be clear on the relationship between 15s and 7s as hurting future career potential. The women 7s feel unfairly resented for their success, seeing this resentment as stemming from their gender, but also their success in the traditionally less prestigious 7s game. And we've mentioned it enough times, but it all comes back to this lack of communication, this lack of clarity that's been going on, because they're as I mentioned, there is no high-performance system in place for any of these teams to be able to see where they need to go and see what they need to achieve in order to uh, receive their um, to achieve their targets and to achieve their goals. There's even a desire to speak honestly and learn from the Tokyo Olympic experience, which has been described as deeply negative and even traumatic. And they want to be heard and have a deeper discussion about what has happened, but they feel as though Rugby Canada um, will either refuse to listen or react negatively as a result of their um, communications. And if you have that for your for at least two of your high performance teams, mm-hmm. then just imagine what's going on with the 15s team. Yeah. Or 15's team, well, 15's men's team who have failed to qualify for the World Cup for the first time in their history. Yeah. Like, there's got there's got to be deep resentment about what's going on and feeling as though things hadn't um been addressed prior that have left them in this position. I remember when we were talking about um Kingsley Jones putting out a video um before their tour of Europe in uh, the autumn and he kept talking about uh, beating the USA in St. John's and we were saying oh that's great you still lost the series and now you're eliminated from the Rugby World Cup This and this does harken yeah. back to um, focusing on the past or um, focusing on the wrong things and that seemed to have been the opportunity of we need to communicate that although the men's 15s team have been unable to qualify for the World Cup, this is the plan going forward. There didn't seem to be a plan forward. If anything, it just seemed to be a lesson 101 of how to explain excuses yeah. and continue onwards. Yeah, I think, uh, I'm like you said, we, we did talk about that one. And uh, yeah, I think... Like, I think that that is kind of the interesting thing with this is I think there's been a sense that it's like, you know, almost like when, when can the men's team was eliminated by Chile, it, we talked about how it just kind of felt inevitable or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, there's not a whole lot in this document that is surprising, but yeah, yeah like it's good to nest that, you know, it has to be faced 
now because it's like, yeah, like rugby Canada, it makes it a lot tougher for rugby Canada to hide behind it because obviously changes need to happen. And the fact that they put this document online, you know, certainly indicates that, you know, like you have, you can't ignore problems now because there's a 19 page document outlining every single one of your problems. It is interesting. And I mean, like moving on to like um, the final so actually the document does end on a positive note, but it does also have like the final, like super negative one, I yeah. guess, um, is the high performance programs approach to and support of leadership and coaching must evolve in which it also mentions that the program's coaching philosophy and system is generating an atmosphere that is not conducive to high performance. Um, right. Uh, and it basically to sum it all up, like we said, we can, you can go read it all on the Rugby Canada website, um, is basically it seems to be kind of questioning the Rugby Canada's leadership and the way the coaches kind of go about coaching their teams too, um, yeah. right? And, you know, even part of it saying is like the exp- uh, right, expectations of leadership in Rugby Canada must be clarified, right? And it's like currently like leadership is – framed purely by what such as results um but how you achieve that leadership is missing um you know nothing's been necessarily been made clear uh you know just kind of like scanning the document and stuff it does sort of um like you know a coach and high performance leader require different um competencies um, effective and high performance programs have generally separated these roles. Rugby Canada coaches are aware of this reality and feel what is being asked of them in their roles is unfair un- or unrealistic. So I guess like, yeah, have to kind of like look at coaching structure and everything. And there's just a whole lot of like, kind of like wild stuff. Um, and even part of it, you know, it goes back to um, part of it too. That's also in there. And I guess it does kind of link to the coaching coaching elements of this um where it says like rugby can is the point uh four under the culture strategy being that rugby can is communication practices worse than high performance program issues right where it talks about um mentions that it's like there's not a lot of communication with the players outside of you know when they're in camp or when they're yeah. you know actively on tour and you know with the one exception that it does mention are the men, the athletes that are current, the men's 15s players that are in Europe or in MLR apparently receive some coaching communication. Um, So I guess like that's good, but also why isn't that happening for all the teams? Um, And, but it also does kind of mention too, it's like coaches are on, sure about why decisions are made and stuff and you know i feel like none now that i'm saying this out loud is like 90 percent of this document just about communication pretty much yeah yeah um so yeah so it is a little nuts um well as you mentioned before derek is that it does say that the document does end on the positive note and that is in the cultural section saying change is possible and many hope to be a part of it and there's a belief that with the right leadership Rugby Canada can create an effective high-performance culture. It even states, it is widely believed that with the right leadership that has high-performance experience, but also prioritizes people and community, Rugby Canada's high-performance program can be righted even if it takes another World Cup or Olympic cycle. And I think that's one of the key things to keep in mind, is that even if all the review recommendations are implemented, this is going to take time. It is, yeah. as, as I mentioned before, it's taken a decade to a decade and a half to get into this situation. It is not going to be corrected overnight. No. And this is the thing is that people believe that things, like basically that Rugby Canada is a rock bottom at this moment. So theoretically, yeah. the only way they can go is up. And it is... Um, beneficial that the high performance review does have uh, 12 recommendations and within those recommendations there are um, high priority uh, tactics and lower priority tactics 
for each of those 12 points. Uh, and again, these are designed by strategy, structure, and culture. Strategy, they say, establish a high-performance strategy and clear national governance role, improve transparency of management of the general fund, and prioritize development pathway coherence and linkage to high-performance strategy, which just levels out really as have an idea of what you're going to do and tell us all what it is. <laughs> yeah. Make a plan. Make a plan. Just big, bold letters. Uh, when it comes to structure, they say accelerate internal governance improvements, establish and improve foundational internal people processes, evaluate the current leadership and coach effectiveness, establish and hire a high-performance director distinct from coach roles, and optimize for or shift Rugby Canada's geographical presence. Now, we mentioned earlier about um, hiring a high-performance director and shifting Rugby Canada's geographical presence. There's actually someone on Twitter, a guy called Andy Pilmer, and you can find him at Andy Pilmer, who has done an extensive list of what he believes uh, Rugby Canada needs to do in order to improve uh, player development that truly reflects the rugby landscape. And one thing that he emphasises is... Um, so Andy pointed out that Argentina created five uh, performance development enhancement centres and 16 rugby centres across their country with a total of 250 players involved. Uh, select players go on to then play for uh, the Pumas, the Pimitas, Argentina 15s and 7s and the Jaguares. Uh, so by contrast, it would be a hybrid model across Canada that would have Canadian rugby development centres uh, for men and women across the country focusing on 18 to 25 year olds with them. So therefore there'll be minimal cost for players and it should be ex collaborating with existing university and um, already established regional academies, such as the Arrows Academy system. Uh, one to three sessions per week and say that they can be based across Canada, not just in BC or Ontario. So there are already um, existing academy programs available, such as the RC Academy, UBC, and as well as UVic, um, North Vancouver and Fraser Valley in British Columbia. Um, in Ontario, there's obviously Toronto, Guelph, uh, Kingston that have established programs, as well as Ottawa, and then of course, the arrow structure that's in place. Um, but he also mentions like Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, even PEI in Charlottetown could be used as one of these development centers. And that's the thing is that uh, he says CRDCs could run out the best venues that suits a local environment. A symbolic relationship with universities makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, these partnerships would be vital aspect for Rugby Canada in such a partnership. And that is a necessary point to make is that you already have these facilities in place that are developing yeah. uh, future Canadian rugby players that are, you are not in competition with them. Use their facilities, um, yeah. reach out to them, establish what can be done. Um, use every single resource that is available to you. Yeah. I, I think though, part of the thing that comes back to that though, is also like how many of those, you know, programs that may have already been set up that, you know, you're saying you would like to see be more integrated in the Rugby Canada development thing are stakeholders and, you know, some of the people that are mentioned as, you know, part of that Rugby Canada community that is, you know, not thinking very highly of Rugby Canada or the Canadian rugby community that's not thinking very highly of Rugby Canada at the moment or that has a distrust in Rugby Canada as what is highlighted earlier in the document, right? Um, so it's probably, if you want that to happen, it's probably a lot of relationships and stuff that got to get mended too. Um, yeah, that's, that's correct. What is, um, which I mean, like, yeah, like ideally, I think, like, I think that like the Toronto Arrows Academy is obviously, you know, um, you know, it's obviously a, gr a great tool to have. Um, one, one great thing that Rugby Canada has done in recent years is re resurrect the Pacific Pride program. Oh yeah. So there, there is, there is obviously positive things and it's like, yeah, like, you know what, maybe if you, you know, Canada is a big country. So maybe, yeah. like you said, maybe having the head, the, uh, the headquarters all the way on the furthest Western part of the country on an Island, um, 
perhaps not the best for but like yeah like maybe you need to go with like um an area you know at the very least maybe an area in eastern canada maybe divide that up so you can kind of have like an east-west thing happening at the very least i'm not too sure there's also obviously money that's involved and i mean i'm sure like like i said like i think one of the one of the most interesting things about that is like i wonder what that what gets decided with that piece of criticism um just because it's like the al sharon training center wasn't free and uh is not exactly mobile so um that'll be an interesting one too um I think looking at the recommendations, though, I think like um, one that definitely sticks out is evaluate current leadership and coach effectiveness. Yeah, um, I think that's that's one that's uh, certainly been called upon, and I think it kind of goes back as well to the the final um, insight, which is really the only positive insight um, in which it's you know it's which is saying that change is possible, and many hope to be a part of it. Um, and I, I completely believe that. Um, I think that there's, there's probably a ton of people within Rugby Canada, within the Canadian rugby community that want to work their ass off to, you know, dig Rugby Canada out of this hole that it finds themselves in, right? To return Canada to, you know, being towards, um, you know, a tier two country, but a tier two country that can hang with tier one countries that, you know, is you know, maybe on the verge of, um, you know, the top 10 in the world rankings as we were like 11, I guess 11 years ago now, back in 2011. Right. Um, and you know, I think there's a ton of people that want to be a part of that. Um, I think one of the big questions going forward now coming out of this review though, isn't necessarily going to be who wants to be a part of that or who's excited and who wants, who wants to turn, help turn rugby can around. Cause there's probably a lot of people that genuinely do, but I think the question that needs to be asked following this review is also like who deserves to be part of that. Um, yeah. right? And, you know, like you personnel changes and stuff do definitely need to be made. Like, as you said, one of the, one of the recommendations is, you know, hiring a, uh, what did they call it? A director of sport, director of rugby. Um, it's a, so the correct, the phrasing that they use is. High uh, performance director. Uh, high, yeah. High performance, high performance director. director. And, and they emphasize that uh, he is, that whoever that is, is distinct from. From, from the coaching staff. So it has nothing to do with coaching. Yeah. They are just the, focused on high performance. Runs uh, the program. program. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's like the, one of the first recommendations is like create a new position to hire somebody to do that. Um, evaluating coach effectiveness and stuff too. Like, I think evaluating like leadership and coach effectiveness. I think like, that's one of those things that I think looking at rugby Canada now, it's like, you can't be, you can't be afraid to make like the personnel changes and stuff where necessary, especially when it's like you have, um, especially when it's like, as it says, it's like you have people that are maybe un- underqualified for their positions or their jobs trying to make things work. And it's like, you know, maybe reevaluate. Um, if people are like, maybe you have to reevaluate, you know, the hiring processes or something as well, or like, you know, try to figure out in the funding to be like, okay, how can we get more qualified? Like, you know, how can we get people to be more qualified in these roles and, you know what I mean? And maybe, maybe even if it is, there's like a funding issue or something. And it's like, maybe you do need somebody to take on multiple roles. How do you provide them with maybe like the training to, in order to be qualified to take on those roles and those responsibilities, but also how do you develop your culture so that those people don't feel stressed out? Um, right. And so that those people don't feel stressed out and, you know, you know, kind of overwork to the point where it's like your culture as what this document clearly outlines, the culture is decimated at rugby Canada. Right. And like, I even, I even do look back, um, like looking back on the thing and it's like, you know, we're saying that it's like people have to move to Langford. Um, right. I guess it is right now. There's a lot of people like moving or living in Langford, part of the talk being Langford being, you know, isolated or, uh, and, you know, things like that. And it's, 
there's a small part. It's like, I wonder how much more enjoyable Langford is if you enjoy going to work. Yeah. Right. Um, and that seems to be like the a big, obviously there's structural and strategic issues with this, with um, the program, but culture seems to be a massive one too. Um, right. And like, even just the small things, it's like one number 11 on the review recommendations is just simply prioritize proactive, consistent communication with the athletes and the community as well. And the community, um, which doesn't like, that doesn't seem crazy. Like that no. seems like a, that seems like a doable thing. Like right now, like how, it's like have the, have the coaches like if coaches aren't talking to their players like during this is like have like be like hey like you do we we live in a world where zoom has become like probably the most popular app in the world or whatever like you know just be like hey every tuesday we're going to hop on a zoom call and you know we can you know maybe maybe even if it's not just to talk about like even if it's not just to talk about rugby just to be like oh like just check in with everybody Right. Even if you, you know what I mean? Just check in with everybody, see how they're doing, see what they did on the weekend, um, get their opinion on Will Smith and Chris Rock, like just check in with something. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you have that obviously prioritize the creation and sustainment of a truly inclusive culture. That's obviously important. Um, straight up, just repair and improve the relationship with the athlete community. Yeah. Um, right. Like, and articulate and make clear uh, what rugby can, uh, what can in this unique rugby culture and identity will be. Um, but I, I think that's one of those things where it's like, when I look at eight and it kind of goes back to, you know, the point about like people finding hope and stuff, but it's also like who, who are going to be the people that, you know, determine what the rugby culture is going to be. Right. Um, you know what I mean? And I think that to me, that seems like the next step, right? Is I think like right now we have the outline of what's wrong with Rugby Canada. Um, a few, like 12 recommendations on how to fix what's wrong with Rugby Canada. But I think like the next step, and obviously they're still searching for the next CEO. Um, but I think the next step is just simply going to be like, find the right people that can implement this, Right. And if some of those right people are viewed as people that are already working for Rugby Canada, sure. Um, but you definitely have to bring in new voices at the same time, too, um, because, you know, the people that at the end of the day, the people that are currently working for Rugby Canada are the folks that are contributing to this 19 page document um, mentioning how not great Rugby Canada is at the moment. Right. Yeah. So you definitely got to bring in some new voices and def and that search is going to be important for figuring out, as I said, it's not, not so much just wanting to change, turn around rugby Canada, being passionate about rugby, rugby in the Canadian rugby, being, excuse me, being passionate about Canadian rugby, the Canadian rugby community shouldn't and isn't going to be enough um, to warrant the to me, isn't going to, isn't enough to warrant the chance to turn it around, right? You have to find the people that truly deserve that opportunity or are qualified to actually make that decisions. Cause if you, I feel like if you don't bring in enough new, new faces, new voices, new people um, to do it, you know, the comment that it's rugby Canada is stuck in the past might kind of revert. And that would be the thing that I would be afraid of at this point. Right. Um, yeah. So you need definitely need some new voices and stuff to yeah. come in. Um, that's not the, and I'm not saying that as a thing to be like, get rid of everybody or something that would be nuts. Um, but like, you do have to work and find those yeah. right people. Some of those people might already be at rugby Canada. Um, but you also have to find the people that are maybe outside of rugby Canada um, that are willing to come in and do that work to help turn rugby Canada around. Yeah, and that's the thing as well. It's going to take a lot of work from every single uh, aspect of Rugby Canada, not just the administrative staff. It would be about the coaching staff, the players, the investors, stakeholders, and the greater Canadian rugby community. Mm -hmm. And that uh, this will take time. It's uh, They've already said in the report that 
it's probably going to take longer than the next World Cup or Olympic cycle for Rugby Canada to turn around. But in the conclusion, they say there are um, they've identified external forces, key insights, and linked recommendations that will shape the decisions Rugby Canada leadership needs to make to evolve high-performance program. Responding to the high-performance review will take hard work on the part of the organization and its leadership. It will require prolonged and focused action over the coming years. Recommendations have been provided, but leadership must be prepared to establish its own point of view and adjust the plan as time progresses. The review has uncovered some difficult truths about the current state of the program. But the fact remains that there is a broad interest across the Canadian rugby community in contributing to setting the program on the right path. With the right leadership, as you've mentioned, Derek, and committed action, the community can be rallied to support the writing of a new positive chapter in Rugby Canada's proud history. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point where we shall yeah. end this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You can follow us on social media, including TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at The Rouge Rugby. You can listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple Podcasts, or you can watch this episode and previous episodes on our YouTube channel. Derek, if they want to follow you on social media, where can they do that? At ReceptaJet across everything. And you can find me mainly on Twitter and Instagram at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Well, this has been a different episode than what you may be used to, but we appreciate you for joining us, and we hope you can join us again next time.